Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this promise of peace. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us peace today where there is conflict and strife and anger and war in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would give us peace through the power of the cross. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. All the time. It's so good to worship with you today and everything this morning has been great. It's been great to sing and to dedicate babies and to pray. This has all been good. It's been a crazy week, hasn't it? In so many ways, almost apocalyptic with um, wildfires in Texas and flooding in the Northeast and planes crashing in Russia and seismic shifts a few weeks ago. Still, with every crazy news story this week, it's hard to compare to what we felt 10 years ago today. You may remember the first picture in your mind. You may remember where you were. I was out here in the parking lot coming from a breakfast with our men when I listened on the radio and heard that somehow a plane had hit a building. And I thought, how curious, how odd, how bizarre, not knowing that all the events would unfold. And before long, each of us had a perspective on that. But I suspect nobody else in the world had the perspective that Frank Culbertson had that morning. He was the only American who was not only not in America, but not on Earth. He was in the International Space Station orbiting the globe, and he looked down and saw this picture This picture as he went over New York, you can see that's New York and that stream of smoke, that plume shows that even from outer space, the evil intentions of humankind and the disastrous results of that tragedy were visible. It almost gives us a view outside our view. And how are we to see evil in the world? How, for instance, does God see evil in the world? Somebody has said, you have a point of view, and I have a point of view. We all have points of view, but God has view. Joseph learned that. Would you open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 50, one last time, our 18th um, worship service in this series. Next week, we begin to think about being on a mission, what our purpose in life is. We're going to take a long look at Jesus. We spent many weeks in Ephesians, many weeks in Genesis, and now let's look at Jesus together. Would you stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord? I'm just going to read verses 19 through 21. We studied 19 and 21 last week, so we'll just focus on verse 20. But Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You may be seated. How in the world can we forgive other people who harm us? We saw last week first We have to refuse to take the place of God. That will enable us, remember we said, to replace hostility with hospitality. You may have had a chance to do that very thing, but we cannot fully understand Joseph's perspective without seeing that he recognized God's greater governance for good. You meant it for evil, he says, but God meant it for good. The pessimist in our world says life is bad, so God must be bad, or at least weak and not in control. The optimist says life is good. If things are going bad, that's just a momentary interruption. It's all going to get better. But in our world, somehow people have held these two extremes as opposite. If life is bad, then God can't be good. Or if God is really good, then nothing in life will go bad. But Joseph and Christianity see these from a different perspective, not from the valley of suffering, but from the mountaintop of resurrection. We can say at the end of the day, after we've ridden the roller coaster of our lives and we ask the question, is life sometimes bad? Is God always good? The answer is yes. Life is sometimes bad. 9-11 was bad. Joseph being thrown into a pit by his brothers, being sold into slavery, being wrongly imprisoned, all of that was bad. And there's no sense in his brothers saying to him at this point, well, it all turned out good. Not after 20 years of being separated. I remember a, a professor years ago who gave me a grade I didn't think I deserved. And I went to see him and he said, I've done you a favor All these years, you haven't made anything less than an A, and you've become obsessed with that, and now I've delivered you from all of that fear by giving you a lower grade. Somehow, as I walked out of his office, it didn't feel fulfilling to me. I see him from time to time at conventions and conferences. He usually ducks me these days, but I love to go to him and say, you have been a great blessing in my life. But I never say to him, and thank you for that B+. It really got me off on the right footing. No, the truth is we're responsible for our actions, aren't we? And so if today you find yourself in that odd position of trying to harm somebody else, in Jesus' name, can I say, quit it. Just stop. Nothing good, and I mean nothing good, ever comes from revenge. You meant it for evil, Joseph says, and now they're in the palm of his hand. He must have been tempted to start digging somewhere to find that hatchet that he had buried. But instead, he says, you intended it for evil, but God Those may be the two most beautiful words in the whole book of Genesis. 
They were beautiful for the brothers. They were beautiful for Joseph. But God, we intend things for evil. God superintends all events of life. Lester reminded me, this is the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. God is working all things together for good. Joseph learned that. Not that being thrown in prison, falsely imprisoned, thrown into a pit, or sold into slavery was good. Nobody would say that was good. But watch how God took those events and shaped Joseph's life and put him back in charge of the whole world so that he could not only see his father again, but he could help other people. It really did turn for good for Joseph. The rest of the book of Genesis is he lived to over 100 years of age. He saw his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. He got to see his father bless his two sons. He got all of that. We have friends who, who left from Minnesota three weeks ago from their home in Bastrop. They were going away just to spend some time in cooler country. You can hardly blame them for that. They received word that their neighborhood was on fire. They didn't hear whether their house was harmed, but they had left their dog happy with a dog sitter, and the dog sitter had barely made it out with her own Life And they wondered for days. They came back hurriedly. They're staying in a shelter in Austin. What happened to Happy? What happened to our home? They got word this week that Happy was rescued, bandaged, paused, burned, but still. Can you imagine how happy Happy was (laughs) to see them and how happy they were? Now imagine Joseph being separated from his father for 20 years, never thinking he would see him again, but in the providence of God, God's greater governance for good. He saw his father again. And for those of us who've lost the loved ones, or my friends who subsequently found out they had lost their home, we have this promise that this world is not our home. The world can be bad. But God is still good. And his goodness is not just for us, but enables us to help other people as well. Joseph doesn't say, it all turned out good. I'm in charge of the world. He says, it all turned out good because now I get to save so many lives by feeding all of the hungry people in the world. You just never know. We don't have perspective. We have a point of view. But God has view Tim Keller, whose message on this subject inspired my thoughts some 19 weeks ago, bringing us through a series of sermons to this point, just based on that one sermon, tells an interesting story about how he started Redeemer Church in New York City. By the way, they were there in Manhattan 10 years ago, ministering to people, helping people pick up the pieces of their lives. But he told the story recently about how that church was planted. It's now 5,000 strong, an evangelical voice in the middle of Manhattan in the heart of the greatest city in the world. He says, I planted this church because a professor came from England and inspired me to believe in missions and to join my denomination that was church planting, planting churches That's why I planted this church. But he said that professor almost never came to the United States because he was having trouble with his visa. But we had a classmate who had clout. And he helped this professor get to the United States. And how did my classmate have clout? Well, his name was Mike Ford. 
His father, Gerald Ford, was president of the United States at that time. And how did Gerald Ford get to be president of the United States? Well, there were these burglars who broke into Watergate and left a door open. And if they hadn't left that door open and the night watchman hadn't found it, then, well, then Gerald Ford would never have been president and Mike Ford would not have had any clout. And the professor wouldn't have come from England over to the United States. And I wouldn't have been inspired to believe in missions. And I never would have planted this church. And you wouldn't be here tonight, he said to his congregation. So Watergate (laughs) happened for you. Well, maybe for more reasons than that, but can we believe that God governs things for good? The picture that comes to me from 9-11 besides uh, Frank Culbertson's is Ann Bybee's picture. You've seen it before. She was making laps around that area where the rubble was stacked 10 stories high at ground zero, smoldering ruins, And with um, a disposable camera, she took a picture of something she hadn't noticed in her first 15 laps around. She saw these twisted pieces of metal contorted into the shape of a cross, not put there by humankind, but a remnant of the disaster that had happened when the towers fell. And she took this picture Where is God when my world is coming apart, when the world comes crashing in? Is God up there somewhere like the International Space Station just seeing the little puff of smoke? I'll tell you where God is when you and I suffer. He's right here. The cross means Jesus Christ, the great God of creation, entered into our suffering and became the suffering God so that none of our suffering would ever be meaningless again. And I'm told that in New York City, before 9-11, only 1% of the people were part of an evangelical church that preached the gospel. But today, 3%, 30,000 people in the last 10 years have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Over half of the 200 evangelical churches have been started since 9-11. Oh, there's no question they meant it for evil. But can you believe that our God can mean it for good? Would you believe in him? Because when they crucified Jesus to the cross, believe me when I say, Satan and the soldiers and the Pharisees, they meant it for evil. But didn't God mean it for good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Help us to believe in you today. Help us to trust you, God. Feed our souls with manna from heaven. Help us, I pray, Lord, to receive this bread and this cup as reminders of your ultimate sacrifice so that out of our spiritual death, you can bring us to life. In Jesus' name, amen.